The breadfruit, as we call it, grows on a large tree, as big and high as our largest apple trees, it hath a spreading head, full of branches and dark leaves. The fruit grows on the boughs like apples, it is as big as a penny loaf when wheat is at five shillings the bushel, it is of a round shape, and hath a thick tough rind. When the fruit is ripe it is yellow and soft, and the taste is sweet and pleasant. The natives of Guam use it for bread. They gather it, when full grown, while it is green and hard, then they bake it in an oven, which scorches the rind and makes it black, but they scrape off the outside black crust, and there remains a tender thin crust, and the inside is soft, tender, and white like the crumb of a penny loaf. There is neither seed nor stone in the inside, but all is of a pure substance, like bread. It must be eaten new, for, if it is kept above twenty-four hours, it grows harsh and choky, but it is very pleasant before it is too stale. This fruit lasts in season eight months in the year, during which the natives eat and no other sort of food of bread kind. I did never see of this fruit anywhere but here. The natives told us that there is plenty of this fruit growing on the rest of the Ladrone Islands, and I did never hear of it anywhere else. There was at Tinian a kind of fruit, peculiar to these, Ladrone, islands, called by the Indians Rime, but by us the breadfruit, for it was constantly eaten by us, during our stay upon the island, instead of bread, and so universally preferred that no ship's bread was expended in that whole interval. It grew upon a tree which is somewhat lofty, and which towards the top divides into large and spreading branches. The leaves of this tree are of a remarkable deep green, are notched about the edges, and are generally from a foot to eighteen inches in length. The fruit itself is found indifferently on all parts of the branches, it is in shape rather elliptical than round, it is covered with a tough rind, and is usually seven or eight inches long, each of them grows singly and not in clusters. This fruit is fittest to be used when it is full grown, but still green, in which state, after it is properly prepared by being roasted in the embers, its taste has some distant resemblance to that of an artichoke's bottom, and its texture is not very different, for it is soft and spongy. In the Society Islands The breadfruit grows on a tree that is about the size of a middling oak, its leaves are frequently a foot and a half long, of an oblong shape, deeply sinuated like those of the fig tree, which they resemble in consistence and color, and in the exuding of a white milky juice upon being broken. The fruit is about the size and shape of a child's head, and the surface is reticulated not much unlike a truffle, it is covered with a thin skin, and has a core about as big as the handle of a small knife. The eatable part lies between the skin and the core, it is as white as snow, and somewhat of the consistence of new bread, it must be roasted before it is eaten being first divided into three or four parts. Its taste is insipid, with a slight sweetness somewhat resembling that of the crumb of wheaten bread mixed with a Jerusalem artichoke. Of the many vegetables that have been mentioned already as serving them for food, the principal is the breadfruit, to procure which costs them no trouble or labor but climbing a tree. The tree which produces it does not indeed shoot up spontaneously, but if a man plants ten of them in his lifetime, which he may do in about an hour, 
he will as completely fulfill his duty to his own and future generations as the native of our less temperate climate can do by plowing in the cold winter and reaping in the summer's heat, as often as these seasons return, even if, after he has procured bread for his present household, he should convert a surplus into money and lay it up for his children. It is true indeed that the breadfruit is not always in season, but coconuts, bananas, plantains, and a great variety of other fruits supply the deficiency. In the Society Islands I, Captain Cook, have inquired very carefully into their manner of cultivating the breadfruit tree at Otaheite, but was always answered that they never planted it. This indeed must be evident to everyone who will examine the places where the young trees come up. It will be always observed that they spring from the roots of the old ones which run along near the surface of the ground. So that the breadfruit trees may be reckoned those that would naturally cover the plains, even supposing that the island was not inhabited, in the same manner that the white bark trees, found at Van Diemen's land, constitute the forests there. And from this we may observe that the inhabitant of Otaheite, instead of being obliged to plant his bread, will rather be under the necessity of preventing its progress, which I suppose is sometimes done to give room for trees of another sort, to afford him some variety in his food. In the Sandwich Islands The breadfruit trees are planted and flourish with great luxuriance on rising grounds. Where the hills rise almost perpendicularly in a great variety of peaked forms, their steep sides and the deep chasms between them are covered with trees, amongst which those of the breadfruit were observed particularly to abound. The climate of the Sandwich Islands differs very little from that of the West India Islands, which lie I in the same latitude. Upon the whole perhaps it may be rather more temperate. The breadfruit trees thrive in these islands, not in such abundance, but produce double the quantity of fruit they do on the rich plains of Otaheite. The trees are nearly of the same height, but the branches begin to strike out from the trunk much lower, and with greater luxuriance. Chapter 2 1787, December Sunday 23 On Sunday morning the 23rd of December 1787 we sailed from Spithead and, passing through the Needles, directed our course down channel with a fresh gale of wind at east. In the afternoon one of the seamen, in furling the main top-gallant sail, fell off the yard, and was so fortunate as to save himself by catching hold of the main top-mast stay in his fall. At night the wind increased to a strong gale with a heavy sea. Tuesday 25 It moderated however on the 25th and allowed us to keep our Christmas with cheerfulness, but the following day it blew a severe storm of wind from the eastward, which continued till the 29th in the course of which we suffered greatly. One sea broke away the spare yards and spars out of the starboard main chains. Another heavy sea broke into the ship and stove all the boats. Several casks of beer that had been lashed upon deck were broke loose and washed overboard, and it was not without great difficulty and risk that we were able to secure the boats from being washed away entirely. Saturday 29 on the 29th we were in latitude 39 degrees 35 minutes north and longitude 14 degrees 26 minutes west when the gale abetted and the weather became fair. 
Besides other mischief done to us by the storm, a large quantity of our bread was damaged and rendered useless, for the sea had stove in our stern and filled the cabin with water. From this time to our arrival at Tenerife, we had moderate weather and winds mostly from the northward. 1788, January. January 4th. This forenoon we spoke a French ship bound to the Mauritius. Saturday 5. Tenerife. The next day at nine in the forenoon we saw the island of Tenerife bearing west-south-west half-west about twelve leagues distant. It was covered with a thick haze except the northwesternmost part, which is a remarkable headland, resembling a horse's head, the ears very distinct. To the eastward of this head asterisk lie two round rocks, the northern boundary of Tenerife. I had a good observation at noon by which I make the latitude of the two rocks 28 degrees 44 minutes north, and their longitude by our timekeeper 16 degrees 5 minutes west. To the southward of these and near the shore is a high needle rock, about four leagues farther to the southward the coast inclines towards the west to the road of Santa Cruz where we anchored at half-past nine on Sunday morning in twenty-five fathoms water, and moored along shore in the same depth, with the cupola tower of the Church of St. Francis bearing west half-north one mile, the east part of the road east by north, the castle on the south point southwest, and the west part of the Grand. Canary South Southeast A Spanish packet bound to Corona, an American brig, and several other vessels, were lying here.